When the best ideas fail, it's usually not the fault of the idea. It's the fault of the process. Typically, if you have conviction about an idea and then get some kind of confirmation from the audience that they do or would like what you have to offer, and it still falls apart, you probably didn't create enough of an apparatus around you to hold up the idea. I think ideas are like raw materials. They don't stand up or take shape all that well when left to their own devices. Instead, they feel squishy and messy and surprisingly heavy and dense. And as a result, you need some pretty strong scaffolding around them to make the idea work. That scaffolding is called process. Now, process usually gets a bad name in the world of, well, the world. But process in and of itself isn't good or bad. It's a tool. It's how you use that tool that matters. Unfortunately, how most corporations and clients and teams use process is kind of like how my toddler uses a toy hammer. And there you are, a well-meaning little bug just waddling down the sidewalk, basking in the sunshine of creativity, just excited to be going about your day, and then wham, 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 wham. A good day gone bad, the right idea gone wrong. Process used as a bludgeon, a barrier. But don't blame the hammer. Blame the toddler. Don't blame process in general. Blame that process or the people wielding it. It could be that your idea is worth pursuing, but your approach to it was lacking. So here's my question. What if you had a plan for the squishy stuff? Should you have a plan for the squishy stuff? How much of a plan should you have for the squishy stuff, the good stuff, the raw stuff, the creative stuff? Well, that's what we try to figure out today. Hey, I'm Jay Akunzo, and on this show, we explore the hidden creative choices that go into making great podcasts. In too many cases, people believe creativity means big. But here, we know the truth. It's all about the tiny little techniques, the micro moments, and the refreshing wrinkles that go into making something that resonates deeply with the audience. Today, we talk to Jake Warren, who's a producer behind a show called Conflicted, and he's also the co-founder and head of a company called Message Heard, which makes incredibly well-produced podcasts, both with brands and other media partners. And today he reveals some of the small stuff that makes a big difference for Conflicted and Message Herd's shows. But before we get there, a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Wistia. What gets you so excited that you start talking too loud? A few things that do that to me, uh, quoting 90s comedies. Yeah. Like, say, if we're debating if shampoo is better or conditioner is better. If you know, you know. Also, I get way too excited about how to make a great marinara sauce. By the way, when it comes to basil and oregano, a palmful, or two or three, that's the correct unit of measurement. And of course, entrepreneurship, creativity, building brands, and telling stories. Those things get me talking too loud. And that's why I have a lot in common with Chris Savage. Chris is the CEO of Wistia, our presenting sponsor, and he's also the host of a great podcast called Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. That's where he talks way too loud about, and to, people who are focused on building more human brands. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and check out more of Wistia's original series, which are quirky and fun, refreshing and insightful, and all focused on building modern brands. 
You can find Chris's podcast and all their original series at wistia.com slash series. That's wistia.com slash series. This episode is sponsored by Marketing Showrunners, our organization. We teach marketers and makers of all kinds how to make shows that make a difference to their careers, to their companies, and most importantly, to their communities. We believe that business can be used as a force for good, but too much marketing is focused on awareness, broad ideas, casual observers, things like empty reach or vanity metrics. What if we reoriented marketing to serve more deeply the people who chose to stay, to hold attention, not just grab it? The only tactic that works, if you can call it that, is to create a better experience. At Marketing Showrunners, we offer free content and paid education, including our eight-week intensive workshops to launch or reinvent your show. Learn more and subscribe for updates at marketingshowrunners.com. Okay, we're about to dissect Conflicted, but you need to know about two different things. You have to know about the show, and you have to know about Jake because Jake is not the host of this show, and that's one reason we wanted to talk to him. First, let's learn about the show, Conflicted. The premise here is is that it combines firsthand experience with expert analysis, breaking down the complexities of the conflicts in the Middle East, and global terrorism as well. The first season begins with 9-11 and focuses on the war on terror very narrowly, and then the second season zooms out, and it's about the post-Cold War New World Order, and how that era of the U.S. and other countries affects the Middle East and beyond. And the topic for season three has not yet been announced. Conflicted is hosted by two different people, Eamon Dean and Thomas Small. The format is kind of a hybrid between these two people talking and an interview. Jake Warren, today's guest on Three Clips and the producer of this show, first met one of the show's hosts, Eamon Dean, when he was reporting for Vice. So Jake has a very rich background of producing shows in the media, including for Vice. And he just sort of instantly knew that Eamon needed his own podcast. But then he brought in Thomas to be the kind of yin to Eamon's yang. And for the most part, Thomas asks the questions about politics and history while Eamon answers them and gives personal experience. And oh my God, what an experience Eamon has. He's a former member of Al-Qaeda who then became a double agent for MI6. He's also, honestly, like a genius. Like, you're going to hear Jake talk about this guy, Eamon Dean. He's, it's insane what he knows and what he can do. As for our guest today, Jake Warren, it was his company, Message Heard, that opted to create this show, Conflicted. Jake started out as a producer and writer of very many things. He's been a contributing writer at The Guardian, The Independent, and HuffPost. He's been a reporter and a producer for Vice Media in London. And he's worked in places like North Korea and the Middle East, covering things like Islamic fundamentalism and terrorism. And he was even a correspondent and producer for BBC Radio and TV, covering sports, of all things. In 2017, Jake founded Message Heard as a, what he says is a reluctant entrepreneur, but he's quite a good one, if you ask me. Message Heard is a production company that makes their own shows, sells IP to networks to create shows with them, and creates branded content. And... That's maybe where you've heard of Message Heard, on this show. Because on this show, we dissected a podcast called Breaking Brand from the software company Buffer. Well, that show was produced by Message Heard. Okay, you know a little bit about Conflicted. You know a little bit about Jake and his company Message Heard that made Conflicted possible. So now let's actually dissect that show. 
As always, we're gonna use our three clips to address the first three challenges that we all face in making great shows. And then we'll ask Jake for some new ideas at the very end around a fourth and final challenge. And as always, in each episode, stick around until after the credits for a podcast suggestion from our guest to add to your list, one you won't find at the top of the charts. We'll be pulling these clips from Season 1, Episode 2 of Conflicted, The War on Terror. Okay, let's start with our first clip today, addressing the first challenge that we all face as showrunners, say something that matters. 18 years now since the launch of The War on Terror, Eamon, what do you think? Has it been overall a success? Has it been worth it morally, strategically? Were we right to wage it? In my opinion, I think the war on terror was necessary, but the way it was executed was abysmal. To make an analogy here, imagine if there is a swamp, a huge swamp, and I'm talking here about the Middle East and beyond. What do swamps attract? Mosquitoes. And mosquitoes spread malaria. So the world powers, instead of draining the swamp, the swamp of injustice, corruption, lack of opportunities, alienation, you know, bad religious preaching and practice. So instead of draining that swamp, they were competing with each other on who will kill more mosquitoes. So they just keep spraying the mosquitoes with antipests and all of that. They just keep killing and killing, but the, but the swamp is there giving birth to more mosquitoes. But how can the Western powers drain that swamp? They don't rule the Middle East. What is needed is a global effort in order to introduce better governance and at the same time help the locals, both governments and people, find a way to drain that swamp. So why do a show about this topic? Like what was left unexplored or uncovered? Obviously, people who hear what it's about will think they know at least some things about these topics, in addition to lots of shows and lots of content more broadly, having explored this, why was this a show worth doing? So the the, the first reason, and, and it's not a particularly strategic reason of, of, of Conflicted and what it came to be, was just that I've been lucky enough to know Eamon for five or six years now. And I kind of always felt that actually, if there was ever an opportunity, I really felt not only is he someone that has really, has had you know, lived many lives and done many, many amazing and interesting and in many cases also quite harrowing things. But he's someone that should be listened to because of his perspective, his lived experience. And and also I really liked the fact about Eamon was that he was so unassuming. You know, you hear about this guy who was, you know, a, a terrorist mastermind turned, you know, James Bond-esque double agent. You think of kind of some chiseled six foot four, you know, superhero gunner. Eamon is like a five foot five, Buttable guy looks like an accountant. <laughs> He's addicted to diet coke. You know, he just sort of breaks every trope and stereotype. But the guy's a genius, and he's so interesting. And I kind of was always looking for an opportunity to help tell his story. When when an idea strikes, I think it's so tempting. Um, there's something called the, the primacy effect in psychology, mm. which is you latch on to the first version, the first idea someone shouts out in a room when you're discussing something. It's so tempting just to say, I got it. The lightning struck. Let's move on it. Um, when you observe somebody like Eamon, how do you not just then leap ahead and say, oh, great, we're going to do this. It's going to be his story. Like, where do you have to really start questioning your own assumptions and developing this versus just like putting him on a microphone? So Eamon is 
you know, you give him a microphone and you say, right, talk for nine hours, he'll do it, right? But that doesn't potentially, you know, doesn't lead to something that's particularly well-structured with a narrative and has clear takeaways, you know? So that's how you kind of work with Eamon is, okay, actually, I know I've got the gold in there and it's how I would describe many things is, okay, it's, it's like sieving for gold, right? Actually, it's mostly gold with him. But how can we then create the parameters, the structure, the format, the concept, the tone, the style of a show that's best going to fit that so that we can get it across in a, in a clear way so that we can you know do that work to begin with? Okay, what do we want people to come away thinking, feeling, doing from listening to Conflicted? Right. And actually... We know Eamon's going to do nine hours of gold. Okay, how can we, you know, put the reins on him so that he gives us two hours of gold and it's actually clearly structured in a, you know, a format for people to understand. So it's it's a little bit of a different way of doing things typically, yeah. um, but it's also uh, a fun way of doing things. But it's also it also has its challenges, right? Because uh, you know, uh, what, what which gold do you pick? Right. Are, are are you like, is this something you've been formally trained in? Like, how do you sift for gold or how do you clearly articulate what the show is even about so that you can put someone like Eamon in a, in a tighter box than just ranting and, and telling stories a, as good as they could be? Like, are there heuristics or techniques that you learned advice or elsewhere that you brought with you to this show? I feel like I have learned a few things along the way um, through getting things wrong, which of course is a really important way of doing things, but also from just, you know, a certain amount of logical thinking, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And then I think for me, what I wanted to do from a, a, a blue sky thinking way of, you know, thinking about this show before it even became a thing. And even before sort of involving Eamon was okay. Actually, if you think about conflict, terrorism, history, politics, and how they all intersect with each other. That's a pretty unsexy topic, right? And usually the kind of things that you hear around that are people who have lots of letters after their name talking in terminology and language that people like me, stupid people can't understand, right? And so one of the kind of things that as a sort of principle of a business for Message Heard and the kind of stories and narratives that we wanted to tell was, okay, how can we take quite supposedly niche you know, supposedly very complicated, intricate subject matter, but make that in a way that feels like it's digestible, it's accessible, and it's universally appealing. And that was a really important attraction for me and one of the main building blocks of why we wanted to do Conflicted. Yes, Eamon is an amazing guy with an amazing story, as, as is Thomas, but can we create it with those blocks that actually someone with a double PhD doctorate in, you know, the Middle East and conflict and history would find appealing, but also someone that actually I, I was a little bit off put. I, I you know, I, that's not for me. I don't consider myself to be an intellectual. Could they still listen to it and find a certain amount of joy or answers and ultimately be entertained? And that was the kind of tightrope that we were trying to walk along. And I'm, and I'm pleased to say that I think we've largely done a good job with that. I, first of all, would agree one of the things I know goes into making a show this well-made is not just the ideas you laid out to me. You know, how do you balance that that fine line between it's too sort of mainstream or dumbed down and diluted versus mm -hmm. it's too academic, it's too mm -hmm. dense. Like, how do you tow that line? That's a nice idea. And you explaining it to me makes total sense. Now you actually have to take Eamon and Thomas and make them bring that out. Mm. If that idea is in your head and your teammates' heads, at message heard, 
you know, you're not then getting on the microphone and instantly able to manifest it yourselves. You're working mm-hmm. through someone else. How do you do that translation? It's tricky. And I think we learned a lot and got far more refined in that process as we actually started doing it. Now, that's not that we just sat there with a microphone and went, right, let's give it a whirl. You know, actually, there was a great amount of research and pre-production that went into this. And the way that we kind of thought about it was that, so you, you know, Thomas and Eamon are essentially, they're in conversation. That's that's the premise of this. The way that we kind of think about it is nominally speaking, although they're friends and they're equals and it's a conversation, Thomas in effect is the matador. So he's the guy who kind of has the slightly more barbed questions, perhaps the 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 better amount of thinking of the the narrative structure of an episode of the points he wants to make. And what we're doing is we're just gently guiding Eamon like a red rag to a bull through that gate to, you know, elicit all of the anecdotes and, and, and whatever it comes out of him. And then obviously we reach points of inflection where they have conversations, they debate. And so largely we know what maybe, I don't know, the seven, eight points of an episode that we want to talk about are and then it's just about making sure i guess from a production standpoint me and my team you know who are in their ears right let's not get too wildly deviated because these guys can talk about it forever and a day i feel like listeners always arrive with an implied question in their minds that some shows do a great job of answering i think those are the best shows and most shows fail to recognize that listeners are going to wonder this which is whether i'm approaching the next episode and i'm already familiar Mm -hmm. i'm already a listener or I'm brand new to the show. I think every listener has this implied question, which is, what will be different when I'm done? Mm-hmm. In other words, like, what's the point of me spending time with this stuff? You know, if, if, if it's an educational show, what will I be, be better equipped to do in my work, in my life? Um, if it's an entertainment-based or, you know, it's, it, it's purely a distraction, how is this anything different than just candy? Just like yet another little mobile game where I break blocks with other more colorful blocks. Like, what, what is the higher <laughs> calling or higher purpose of this? And how will that affect me when I finish this experience? Because it's a commitment to listen to any mm. show in any category. How, how might you answer that to someone who's like, look, you know, there's a lot of news shows, there's a lot of story shows, a lot of history shows focused on general categories, terrorism, you know, politics, the Middle East, these kinds of things that you also touch on. So what would be different when I'm finished with this particular experience? It's a tough one, and I th- and we've had a few different answers from different people that began listening to it for different reasons, which I quite like. And I think the, the one universal thing that people say to us is whether they knew loads and or thought they knew loads and loads and loads about the history and conflict of the Middle East and beyond, or agreed, okay, actually, I don't know anything. You generally have some questions around it, right? And almost everyone came away going, actually. I have loads more questions now. That's quite annoying because I got a few answers that were really (laughs) interesting or you changed my perspective or you changed my thought process or I hadn't considered it from that point of view or I didn't know that or why didn't I know that, which is great. But people always come away and go, but now I have, where I had 10 questions, I now have 9,427 questions. And so actually for me, that was quite an interesting and, and, and an attractive thing because if you can leave someone wanting more, it's the trick of any good show, right? Is you've got them suckered in for the next episode. Now, I shouldn't use the language suckered in because this is not, you know, we're not sort of doing um, clickbait or, you know, or earbait for whatever the right phrase no, is. But, but that, that's the thing, Jake. I do feel like you're doing it from a place of generosity when you're a, a, a let's say, well meaning creator of anything, but you know, this is manipulation. The music we choose, the pauses, even the interruption that I just kind of leveled your way here, 
it's all intentional. You know, you listen to comedians who talk about developing their sets and they're like, you think that I'm just getting this out and it sounds that way, but I know every single little move I'm doing up here. And that's something that I took with me onto stages as a, as a public speaker and certainly with me on a microphone. So let's not pretend there's, there is coercion. There is manipulation. It is theater of the mind. You're, you're intentionally planting emotions and ideas and visuals into people. But I think doing so, using that superpower for good, mm, you know, exactly. The, the, instead of the clickbait. It, it, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, it, the, if we're being very honest, I guess it's completely interwoven, right? The, the ability to tell a good story is the ability to coerce and manipulate because I know that I'm putting in emotive hooks. I know that I'm using jeopardy and cliffhangers and all of these kinds of you know, things which sucker you in as a human being because that's how we work, right? Morbid fascination often, especially when it deals, comes with this kind of subject matter. The power of speaking to someone, especially someone uh, who's physically putting you know, an earbud or head headphones on and putting you into their into their day and into their mm -hmm. ears. There's such power in that. It, it, given that power, given you know that there is intention behind this stuff, um, this is a heady, dense topic. Uh, there's a lot of sensitivity to touching on things the right way versus the wrong way. I'm sure a lot of the information that Eamon has in his brain is also quite literally sensitive, like cannot be shared publicly. How do you and the team, together with the co-hosts, ensure that you're approaching this from that place of generosity, from that place of, it's not just factually correct, it's that we're actually presenting all this information properly. Um, I don't want to say unbiased, because I don't think that's quite possible when you tell stories, but you know, th there's a lot of um, places you could have tripped up here in the show. Hmm. How do you ensure you proceed carefully? You're right. So I think anyone who says that they do anything that's this sensitive or this dense or this complicated with complete objectivity and complete, you know, I'm completely unbiased. Well, that's not true because human beings have those innately built into them. Eamon, for instance, is a proud Saudi, right? You know, that, that has consequences for how he perceives the world and his experience of the world, especially if you think around the Iran-Saudi rivalry or, you know, sort of power struggle for dominance across the Middle East, right? And and I think more than that is, okay, okay we're going to have inbuilt biases, especially Eamon and, and indeed Thomas to a certain extent do, but it's about being integrous, honest, and uh, factual in when you present that information and discuss that information. You know, if you really do believe in uh, one particular point of view or one particular perspective, you should be able to actually see some merit in the counterpoint of view as well to actually right. make you more fervently believe in what you believe. And so one of the things that we try to do, I guess, as the production team, more so than for Thomas and Eamon, is to always make sure that we are approaching the themes and the core concepts of each episode from a perspective of what would the questions be or what would the themes be asked from a broad um, section of, of, of listeners so that it's not just, oh, these people are bad and these people are good and let me tell you why because this happened to me. Actually, let's try and zoom out. We can do both the micro storytelling of Eamon and Thomas's you know, anecdotal experiences, but also the macro storytelling of actually trying to understand how this all fits into some geopolitical jigsaw. And, and maybe we don't always get that right, but we always try. And that's the most important thing.
Okay, it's time now to explore our second challenge that we all face as showrunners, get them to the end. We just finished exploring how this show says something that matters. That's the first and probably biggest challenge we all face. But once you have a strong premise, you have to explore it well. In other words, what does it take to make your show a great experience? If the premise gives people motivation to subscribe, then the format, the experience, provides motivation to stay. After all, this work isn't about who arrives, it's all about who sticks around. So let's get to our second clip to understand how today's featured show honors the golden rule of audio, get them to the end. And with this clip, we're going to shift from talking about the big picture politics to zooming way in on Eamon Dean's personal experience. The story you're about to hear comes from the, uh, the time when Eamon was working as a double agent for the British spy agency MI6, and he was doing so within an Al-Qaeda training camp. In the clip, you'll hear Thomas ask how close he came to being found out, and then Eamon's going to tell the story about working in the kitchen making french fries when a fellow Al-Qaeda member comes walking in and pointed a gun to his head. How close were you personally ever to being found out, to being executed by Al-Qaeda? I was in the kitchen... And, you know, I was basically just, you know, you know, uh, cutting the potatoes into, you know, fries shapes. And I remember, you know, someone entering into the kitchen, but I wasn't aware who he was. And then I realized basically that some movement happening in the kitchen that my other, you know, uh, helpers in the kitchen left in a hurry. And so I was thinking before I was going to turn around, distinctively, I felt the end of a pistol against my spine. You know, and so I heard, you know, a rather familiar voice, someone I knew, saying, Abul Abbas, you have to come with me quietly. We know who you are. We know who you work for. It's over. It's done. Resistance is futile. Oh, my God. So, and I remember I just looked around like this and I say, do you know that it is explicitly forbidden to point a gun, even if it's empty, against another brother. Take, you know, put it down. Put your gun down now. And I remember he looked at me shocked a little bit. I said to him, put it down. I'm not going to tolerate this joke. Such such a powerful story. Uh, I, have a, I have a broader question, but really specifically, I, I just wanted to know, do you have to coach somebody like Eamon to tell the story in such a detailed, performative way, or is that naturally how he is? He he naturally is performative, and I think that's he unfair. Na- he's- okay, that's not fair for a production company like Messageard to work <laughs> with somebody that naturally good, because usually it's like pulling teeth. Yeah, I, I, and I think the, the but the thing for Eamon is it's such a he's had such a batshit crazy life, and once you get him going, you know. The way in which he tells these stories, he's not someone to ever scrimp on detail. He he comes alive when he tells the story because this is it's it's important. It's not just you know his personal life story, but it's also a pretty important thing that he did. Right? He spent you know I think it was four years as a true you know devout right. I'm a jihadist. Let's you know let's let's bring on the end of the world. But then he spent eight years actually trying to stop, actively stop. He could have just left, but this is him actually trying to, you know, he's embedded and he's trying to undermine and stop the efforts of his former brothers, right? And that is such an emotional, uh, overwhelming 
experience of thunder when he tells these stories you can tell it's almost I, it, the, the nostalgia is almost a bit overbearing that he kind of comes to life a little bit more and yeah. from a callous point of view it's lovely to hear because you know it really brings that story to life but then the other part of me sometimes is like dude how do you not have just the worst ptsd in the world oh, i mean no. imagine being in that situation a, a literal undercover agent someone with a gun in your back going you know right your jigs up buddy and then for him to respond in that way and go actually no you're not allowed to point you know i mean it speaks volumes to to the bravery of Eamon. right so the broader question that i promised was more about like the apparatus you put around Eamon. um thomas being a part of that i know he's talent but he does seem to play the role of more like you think of a news program you have the anchor who, mm. who focuses on the advancement of the agenda and the program. Uh, and then you have the color commentator, the analyst, you know, their job is to opine and tell stories and things like that. And I kind of sensed that part of this uh, construct of your episode um, was Thomas playing that role and Eamon able to be Eamon. Um, mm -hmm. What other things did you put around the two of them? Were you in the room prompting them? Did you have a, a, a written rundown where you had broad blocks of things you wanted to touch on and then you let them play within the, the blocks like talk to me about how you ensure that when you're in recording when you're in production that they are getting out the right material and, and in some semblance of an order that you can work with later mm. well so uh, earlier slightly less sophisticatedly i described thomas as the matador and Eamon as the bull yeah we're actually you know what thomas is and you, you've got to spot on he's the convener to the conversation whereas Eamon is the person that you prod and you go right give us the other anecdote, give us your genius take, give us your perspective of the world. And the way that we do that is that we probably do more homework with Thomas than we do with Eamon because you want that sort of spontaneity, originality, authenticity of Eamon actually responding in real time to some of the questions and just coming with his gut answer. With Thomas, it's more about providing him the narrative well, we have a sort of, you know, we have a, a we have a structure of the season, right? Which is, mm -hmm. you know, from 9-11 through to the war on terror, through to Syria, you know, so we're always progressing in a linear fashion, but also within each episode as well, there is. And, and the way that we do that is, um, I don't want to call it a cheat sheet because it's more detailed than that, actually. And what it, what it actually is, it's a proper sort of, it's sequential themes and questioning okay we mm -hmm. we deal with topic a we then move on to topic b Eamon says something no actually thomas goes we're going to come to that later let's not spoil that now you know he is the person that is the you know is the conductor he's guiding us right. through and what we are there i guess as is you don't want to be interjecting too often because you break up the flow you break up the fluidity you break up that sort of conversational back and forth what we are is i guess the fail safe if we start getting too tangential, if we start going off track, we know we've only got limited amount of hours in the studio and you could do it for five hours. Okay, let's try and do it in two, guys. You know, let's try. So what we are there is to kind of just that little check in the air sometimes. All right, Thomas, right, Eamon, we've, maybe we spend a little bit too long on this. Let's move on to the next. Or actually, I think we're going off on a little bit of a tangent. Or sometimes it's actually, guys, the way in which you just described that is really interesting. But if you're thinking about it as the layman listener who doesn't understand the world, you're going to need to contextualize that for us. Can you right. go back and do that? And these guys are so good. Sometimes we don't speak for half an hour, an hour. You know, they towards the end when these guys are really getting going and you know, with each episode, they get better. We just sit there with our kind of jaws on the floor, really, which is quite nice.
All right, so far today, we've explored the first two challenges that we face trying to make someone's favorite podcast, say something that matters, and get them to the end. The premise and the experience, the format. So now it's time for our third challenge and our third clip, deepen audience relationships. As showrunners, once we provide motivation to subscribe and motivation to stay, how does that turn into motivation to act? After all, the point of this work we do isn't just creating a bunch of stuff, it's to create a relationship with the audience, to spark change, to help them, to inspire action. For any of that to happen, we need trust and love, and those things are earned over time. So from tiny choices inside the show to larger projects around the show, what is today's featured podcast and the team involved doing to build community? So just to set up this third and final clip a little bit, we're going to go back to the big picture. Right before this clip, Thomas had asked Eamon, why Islamic terrorists hate nation states? And Eamon says it's because it prevents the terrorists from establishing a caliphate. What the hell is a caliphate? Okay, imagine the Catholic world united under the Pope, not only in a religious sense, but in a political, social, and economic and military sense. Sort of as it was, say, in the 12th century in in Europe. Exactly. So imagine the Pope, but not just only with religious authority, but also with political, economic, military, and social authorities. Imagine that, and that is basically what a caliph is. But there is a problem. This concept of the caliphate and the absolute authority entrusted in the caliph was really only viable within the Muslim world for the first two centuries after the death of the Prophet Muhammad. It was exercised, of course, the four caliphs after the Prophet, then the Umayyad dynasty, and then the first nine Abbasid caliphs. But after that, the Abbasid empire started to disintegrate. And when you say Abbasid, I mean, I think the listener needs to imagine almost the stereotypical period of Muslim glory that's even sort of mythologized in a movie like Aladdin, the classic image of the grand turbaned figure on the throne commanding armies across the world of noble warriors. That's the the Abbasid caliph. Very good description. The the Muslim empire of of the Thousand and One Nights. Indeed. I think people can probably guess why we picked this clip for this section of the show, because right away, Thomas is playing that conduit to the listener. Mm -hmm. This was taken from uh, season one, episode two, when a show is new or a project is new or a person, the talent is new, speaking into the microphone. um, How much do you have to sit down and explain to them, hey, look, this is the listener. Remember, this is who we're speaking to. Where is the listener's presence, I guess? in the production process so that you make sure you, you know, because there's another version of this show where you don't have to explain all those things. So we talk about it a lot because it's one of the guiding principles of the show, which is that, remember, this is this is something that's inclusive, not exclusive. It's something that's accessible. It's something that's digestible. You know, stick to those key tenets. So the first line of defense is you go, Eamon, remember to not be too nerdy. And he goes, okay, and then just talks about 11th century, blah, 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 blah. So that never works. <laughs> Thomas, I'm glad to report, second line of defense is very good at that. As I said, he has that innate understanding of of stopping and kind of, you know, contextualizing. And also what they both do quite well is, and it's usually led by Thomas, which I quite like, is they won't just contextualize, but they'll also do it with pop culture references, which I quite Mm -hmm. like. You know, so like Aladdin right there, that's a good example, right? You know, everyone can picture back to watching Aladdin or they talk about, you know, Rambo or like that scene in Star Wars where they go into the bar and, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, so they're good at that. And then obviously the last line where it's, you know, the executive oversight is, is the production team. It sounds weird 
But I think there could be a problem if one is creating a show and people like it, which is they don't know what to do with the fact that people like the show. So mm-hmm. they just, you know, they just keep creating more episodes, which is fine. You know, if you, if you want to be a broadcaster and have, have no real relationship with the audience, that's your decision. And certainly many shows work that way. Um, as people start to raise their hands and sort of say to these co-hosts, like, we like you, we like these stories, we like this show. How does that change the production? What are you trying to do to build community? Um, or are you? Well, it, we we are, and it's it, it's a really important part of it. And we've done a few different things, which I think have 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 worked and are continuing to work. One of the things that we decided to introduce was to try and foster a sense of community. So we created, you know, Facebook channels and a Facebook discussion group where people can ask questions to Thomas and Amos that we aim and that we can relate to them. You know, it's great to see fellow fans of the shows interacting with each other. You know, I'd love to hear something about this or have you guys read this article or have you listened to this episode of this other show? It's great because what you're getting then is a real sense of engagement of community that actually people who have been unified of love of this one particular show, it broadens into other horizons, which is really nice to see. And one of the things that we did recently, which I was really happy with, and it was a really great success, I think, was because it is one of those shows where people come away going, well, I've got 9 million more questions than I did answers. We were like, well, actually, why don't we incorporate some of those questions and actually the people who have those questions into a show? So we did our first Q&A show where we basically went back and we invited particular people to ask questions and we actually recorded them themselves in their own voices asking the questions to Thomas and Eamon and then they answered each one for you know for for as long as it required you know not not one minute 60 second answers but you know we would go into detail as if it was a segment a particular beat of an episode and I think people like that because obviously people like to feel that they are like anything that there's an opportunity for it to be participative you know why do people ring up radio shows right and and it's the same thing but slightly hopefully slightly more high quality <laughs> And and so we're we're always looking for ways to expand. You know, I think we'll probably do some Reddit AMAs. Uh, I think the the social media community that we're building, we're, we we may look to do sort of live streams. We we are always interested in being innovative and um, pushing the needle forward when it comes to engagement because podcasting is great, but I think it works best when you don't just have a listener, you have a fan all right my dear listener friend we've now come to the fourth and final challenge that we all face running our own shows reinvent the experience even the best things that we make grow stale over time and remember creativity doesn't mean big innovation doesn't require invention Instead, to keep things fresh over time, it's about making tiny wrinkles on top of the status quo. Small, refreshing changes compared to what came before it. It's about consistently tinkering and improving. That's what creativity really is anyway. Repetition plus reinvention. So today's featured show says something that matters. They get listeners to the end. They deepen relationships. But how will this program stay fresh and avoid stagnation and keep making a difference in the lives of those they serve? As this show moves forward, two questions about reinvention and keeping things fresh. One is, how will you do that on this show? 
And then what are you taking with you from this show to other shows Message Heard is working on that will help you improve those as well? So the first one is for this show in terms of how do we reinvent and keep it fresh is I think the overarching narrative structure of a particular season that always has to change. And I think the level in which we zoom in and zoom out can change. So the first season was typically really just uh, the history of conflict in the Middle East from 9-11 through to current day, you know, ISIS returning fighters. The second season, we zoomed out a little bit and moved around the world a little bit more. And we did it through the prism of the new world order. And actually that gave us, by zooming out a little bit more, it gave us a bit more scope to touch on other places of the world, other regions, tie in more of Eamon and Thomas's story. But it was a little bit less laser focused. And I like that idea of doing different seasons and maybe even spin-off subsidiary shows on deep dives on one particular segment or zooming out and looking at even wider lens, perhaps. I don't know the answer to that yet. We're still toying around. We've got season three um, in the works at the moment, and we're still figuring out the answers to some of those questions. And I, and I think from what I've learned about Conflicted and its success and how that informs the other shows we're making at Message Heard is when I first made this show, I did it, as I said, because... I knew Eamon, I greatly respected him, and I felt he was a voice that needed to be heard. But I, you know, I, I, I wasn't really under any illusions. I was like, it's an incredibly niche subject matter. It's incredibly complicated. You know, it's quite morbid. You know, this is detailed, heavy stuff. So I kind of was perhaps naively saying, well, we're always going to have a particular kind of listener, or we're always going to be limited in the numbers that we get. And actually, I found that to be wildly untrue. And actually, the demographic of listener... Uh, the geographical location and who they are and their interest, how so wildly varied and different and more mainstream than I could have imagined, that has actually really informed our other shows because we're going, okay, there is clearly something to this. By taking something which is complicated, by taking something which is unglamorous and unsexy, is there a way that we can take those interesting principles of those stories but take it to other subject matter, other genres and, and do the same? Jake, first of all, I got to say thank you for coming on the show. Some people send swag and little goodies and notebooks and t-shirts and all that stuff. We figured let's save on the emissions and the landfill. Um, we'd like to place a small donation as a thank you for you coming on the show. Are there any charities you support? If not, I'm happy to recommend our go-to charity. That is a good question. Um, yeah, I think you're the one that's kindly doing it and therefore... Whatever charity you think is best, I'm happy to be on board with. Sounds good. We we go with uh, No Kid Hungry, which helps relieve people who are food insecure in the United States. There are millions and millions of families who are unable to feed their children. So we'll place a small donation to No Kid Hungry, and people listening should definitely check them out as well. Amazing. Jake, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me um, and listening to me waffle on for however long that was. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Every time you do, you're supporting independent creators trying to earn a living on their art. This episode was produced by Andrea Moraskin, and it's hosted and written in part by me, Jay Akunzo. Original theme music is provided by Cardboard Rocket Chip. Check them out on Spotify. If you want to learn to make your audience's favorite podcast, I hope you'll explore our company, marketingshowrunners.com. Our mission is to help more people find their voices and make shows that make a difference. We offer free content, interactive workshops, and more. 
Learn more at marketingshowrunners.com or get one new idea about what it takes to make your audience's favorite show emailed to you every Friday. That's my newsletter, Playing Favorites, a brand new note every Friday, plus a roundup of things we find interesting and helpful for podcasters. All these links are in your show notes. Okay, now here's our final bonus segment. I ask every guest we talk to for their recommendation for a podcast that they love that is not at the top of the charts. It's a more hidden show that they'd like to show some love for because honestly, we're all out here trying to do the hard work of making great shows. We call this segment, Play It Forward. So the show that I would like to play it forward to is called Blevard. Uh, and it's a show that's created, it's a one-man band, and it's a guy who, he probably wouldn't even describe himself as a journalist, but I would certainly say that he has the skill set of one. A guy called Sean McDonald, relatively young guy from Glasgow in Scotland. He's got a you know a thick Glaswegian accent, which is something that you don't particularly hear so much on in 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 uh, you know in sort of mainstream uh, commentary, which is a shame. But what he has done is he's created a show entirely off his own back, where he interviews some of the most interesting people throughout the world across all walks of life. In a sort of it's so unvarnished and it's so deep dive that actually it's what I view as kind of the real art of the interview. People aren't on there necessarily peddling their new book or because it's a good PR opportunity or because they want to share the same anecdote that they shared on the last four podcasts they've been on. Actually, what he makes his real concerted effort to do is not just surface level understanding of the guest and the subject matter behind it. He really gets to grips of it. When he gets into it with these people, it is incredibly engrossing. It's incredibly immersive and it's incredibly... Uh, thought-provoking and and also educational. You're learning about things that you never thought you would learn about, and it's all done through a proper prism of human interest. You know, you really get invested not only in Sean but also the people that he's talking to. And, and I'm a great supporter of him, and I think he's fantastic. And I hope he's going to carry on doing it and plenty of other things because he is great. You should listen to Blevard. If the only thing for an American audience is maybe some of the times you're going to be like, "What the hell is he saying?" But it's it's a great show. All right, that's it for this episode. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I believe succeeding in our line of work is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. It's about making experiences that resonate with people, not just reach them. And if you stayed this far, I got to say thank you for sticking around. And I'll talk to you on the next episode of Three Clips and every Friday in our newsletter. See ya.